When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. There is nothing I love more than an amazing meal with high-quality meat cooked at home because... Let's be honest, eating out is so expensive. And you also know that eating out is the number one budget buster. That is why I am so glad I found ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service dedicated to delivering high-quality, grass-fed and grass-finished beef, organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood directly to your doorstep with free shipping always. You even get exclusive member deals, recipes, and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price. New users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Use code ETM and get $20 off your first box at ButcherBox.com. Last night, we made a beef stew with meat from ButcherBox, and you can taste the difference. It was so satisfying and delicious. And all of our friends that were over for a dinner party, they raved at how good it was. So do yourself a favor and eat better this year with the best meat and seafood on the planet delivered to your door. ButcherBox is offering my listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm and use code ETM to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Be very careful because you only get one shot at this and colleges will not come back and correct it for you And so you're going to live with whatever you get for that year for all four years, most of the time. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. Welcome back to the show, Money Talkers. So good to have you here. This week, we've been focusing on student loans, a topic that is on everyone's mind. 
Hopefully, you've had a chance to listen to our jam-packed episode with Robert Farrington on the whole student loan debacle. If you haven't, make sure that you go over and check out that episode as well. But in this episode, we're diving deeper into navigating the college aid process and all things FAFSA with Stuart Siegel. Stuart is a nationally respected financial aid expert and founder of FAFSA Assist. And get this, did you know that $24 billion in financial aid that the government actually makes available goes to waste each year simply because students aren't applying for it? So whether you're thinking about going back to college, you have kids who are getting ready for college, or maybe you're even just simply thinking about having a child soon, this episode is for you. Stuart shares the right way to value assets, how to negotiate with colleges, yes, it's a thing, why you shouldn't respond to college offers too soon, and how to file the FAFSA the right way. Oh, and we also dive into the complete underbelly of just who is making money with student loans. On to the episode we go. Well, Stuart, I am, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I know there's so much to dig deep into. I kind of want to start here. Um, okay. I, I mean, obviously, soaring tuition hikes, uh, you know, educational debt being the fastest growing debt category mm. in America today. And most people are just thinking that college is kind of out of reach. And uh, you sent over some really alarming information that every year students miss out on an estimated $24 billion in financial aid. And the government makes this available, but people just aren't applying for it. And, you know, when we think about that combined with we're hearing more and more about the possibility of student loan forgiveness by President Biden, of course, that's all TBD, of course. But I, I think it's important to first start with an understanding of why are people missing out on financial aid? And really, what is that financial aid? Are we talking loans, grants, scholarships? Well, what people are missing out on it, primarily when you hear about this, is the Pell Grants from the federal government. Um, that's capped, I think it's $6,495, which doesn't make a dent at even right. the least expensive state, public state, you know, institution. So uh, a lot of kids, you know, eighth, ninth, that have been in, you know, uh, junior high and getting into high school, they go, well, it's, what's the point? They can't afford it anyway. And to be honest, they can't. Um, right. so the idea that has been put forth is to double the Pell Grant, which would at least, uh, make it possible for a lot of kids to be able to at least go to a four-year college, you know, a state school, uh, at some of the, cause most of those tuitions are ranging anywhere between 12 and 20. So if you throw a student loan in there, you prop in a state grant, uh, you'd be able to do it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about, about loans, it's just, you know, it's contributing more and more to the debt crisis in their, you know, countries. We got Europe and South America and Africa where people can go to college virtually for free. I know you've been doing this for a long time. Like, what do you think needs to change to make college more affordable here in the U.S.? Is that, is that something that's even possible? You know, that's a really good question. <laughs> it's the $64,000 question. The, the problem is, it started a long time ago, and it started with Sally May and the colleges. They got together, and the colleges wanted to raise tuition, but they knew parents didn't have enough. So the banks said, well, wait a minute, we'll, we'll make money easier to get. 
And then because the federal government and, and all the student loans, they haven't really increased all that much. But uh, the, uh, in 1994, I think it was, the, the government said, hey, we'll let parents borrow as much as possible. So uh, and then that was, of course, through the banks. And so the money was just there and parents took it because, of, you know, they feel that this is the only way for their child to succeed in life. Get ahead is to go to college. And over the years, the push culturally to go to college has increased. And because parents could borrow more and more and nobody's complaining because there's nobody behind them complaining. It's just a very small constituency uh, every year. Um, And they get, you know, into it and uh, the colleges say, hey, we're getting it. So let's raise three, four, five, six, seven percent a year. And uh, so, you know, now you've got to the point where college is pretty, uh, pretty much unaffordable in spite of the fact that colleges will say you don't, most people do not pay list price. That may be true, but let's face it. If you are a family of four or three and struggling, and you have an income of forty-five to sixty-five thousand dollars, and the government says you have to pay, you know, eleven thousand dollars for school, and then the school costs thirty, for example. And they say you have to come up with another seven thousand. So now you're looking at close to twenty with everything, and you can't even afford the ten or eleven. So, and that includes loans to make up the difference. So it's very hard for most families now to apply to 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 afford college, even if they borrow. Now people ask me all the time about the oh my gosh, there's one point seven trillion. Would you believe that most of that is interest? Yes, I would. It has accumulated <laughs> since like 2011. I mean, th- most of the debt is not current uh, debt, you know, students taking out loans, which honestly, for the undergraduate, we're talking a maximum of first year of 5500 or at the end of four years, $27,000, which on a monthly basis is about $350 a month. If you get a college degree, you should be able to get a decent job that you can afford $350 a month to pay uh, your investment, because that's what it is. Uh, if you get a degree, that's making an investment, and that investment will pay. So now it's time to put that money in there uh, to pay for your, you know, to, to get your investment right. to pay. So that's kind so of who's, how. So who's, so is it, is it the federal government that is ultimately profiting? Like, is it the combination between that and the schools? I mean, is it just so convoluted that it's hard to even kind of separate it out? Well, the government does actually profit, um, even with a portfolio that has a lot of delinquencies uh, and defaults. Sure, because the origination fees are pretty high, uh, especially for parent loans. Uh, the interest rates are higher than, you know, uh, they just came out, the new ones. So if you're a parent, you want to take out a loan, it's going to be 7.5%. A student uh, this year, undergrad, for almost 5%, 4.9 and 3%. Uh, this is uh, going back, you know, two years ago, it was 2.75%. So these are you know, for students. So they're, they keep going up. Um, they're making money because the, gov- the, the Treasury borrows from itself practically nothing and, um, or have been for a number of years, and they still charge all these fees. So the government's making their money. And as long as parents and students will borrow, the colleges have no incentive whatsoever from you know reducing their costs, uh, some co- some colleges are saying, yeah, we'll freeze tuition, 
for four years, and some have actually lowered tuition, uh, but there are very few. I remember when my youngest daughter went to, she went to Brandeis, and she started in 2009. And I remember the first bill. You never forget your first <laughs> private school bill. Painful, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the total charge was $53,500. Wow. And that was in 2009. I don't even remember what it was when she graduated. Uh, but to go to Brandeis now, I believe you're looking at closer to 84000 And believe me, the education at Brandeis or any other of these private schools has not gotten better uh, th than it was you know, nine years ago or however long ago was when my daughter uh, started. And I guess it's been, uh, yeah, to or 10 years ago. Um, so, yeah, so what colleges have done is uh it is really just decided that we, we we need to keep up with our costs and they keep building and they keep building and they get endowments colleges are you know always fundraising i mean as soon as a student right. gets into that that freshman year fall they're getting the calls and uh to the parents and uh and not and the donors they that get the money does that give the money don't necessarily earmark it for financial aid. A lot of it goes to buildings and programs and things like right. that. The okay. students never get, and, they, and, and the schools can't give it to them because it's not earmarked for that. So, so it's all you know, it's not up. just yeah, it's not just all the lazy rivers and climbing walls, you know, and all that. <laughs> um, it's just you know a lot of duplication, a lot of uh, you know inefficiencies, and here's the scary part that so many colleges are not keeping professors. Uh, what they're doing is hiring adjunct professors. So they don't even work at the school. They teach a class. They might work, depending on the area, they might work at two or three different schools. And they're making basically minimum wage. Sort of like the pilots who do the hops. They make 19000 20000 a year. They're, you're putting your life in their hands to go from Buffalo to, to Cleveland, you know, on one of these puddle jumpers. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's they're not getting they get no benefits. They have no investment in teaching the you know the kids. They, there's no getting to know the students. Certainly don't benefit by a relationship. And more and more schools are doing this. Uh, yeah, to cut I will just say that for the last ten years, I have uh, taught at a university exactly like you're talking about in Los Angeles as an adjunct professor. Um, and I would pretty much affirm everything you're saying. If we look at my counterparts who are actually full-time faculty and what they're making versus what I was making, it would, um, it would be very alarming. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's, it's, um, it's outsourcing at its finest, right? So I think parents, you know, when they're looking at schools, they should know that, you know, that these, this, you know, faculty to student ratio is, is just a, it just doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know, so they should find out who's teaching your child. Absolutely. Who's teaching my student? You talked about your daughter at Brandeis. I know you've been in mm -hmm. this industry for about 25 years. You're the founder of FAFSA Assist and yeah. uh, you, you know a lot about this. I'm, I'm curious what um, your story was, because I know there was a kind of a light bulb moment uh, where you said, like, from your college experience to your kids, where you're like, wait a minute, I got to figure this out. Tell us a little bit more about about this time. Well, I went to college when it was three. I was at Penn State. It was we went on the trimester. It was three hundred and twenty five dollars. I'll never forget this. 
$325 per semester, so less than $1,000 in tuition. <laughs> I, I don't know what it costs to live. Um, you know, my parents paid it. But um, uh, many years later, when Renee uh, went to Penn State, I had two kids go to Penn State, um, she, she was very smart and very high test scores and straight A's and AP and everything. And she got a whopping $2,500 uh, scholarship, I forget the name of it. Uh, apologize for the fake bird. When 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 my daughter first daughter went to Penn State, uh, her top scores and top grades only got her you know, twenty five hundred dollars, I think, of um, scholarship. So the rest of it was either loans or we had to pay for it, and it just seemed quite a bit um, compared to my experience and my wife's experience. She went to another state university in Pennsylvania. Um, she's been actually been at many universities uh, to getting her degrees, but um, it seemed a bit extraordinary. And then our son went, and that was even more. And then, as my youngest, Zoe, uh, we were preparing for her in my practice, and I was using um, a lot of the techniques and strategies that I've developed with others uh, to be able to. Uh, pay the least amount possible because 53.5 back in 2009 was a lot of money. We were in the Great Recession. Sure. And, uh, you know, business had dropped off quite a bit. So it was very important, uh, you know, but you go back a year on your tax returns. Then, now it's go back two years. But then it was one and, and still had a pretty good income. So, uh, yeah, I, I had been learning through the process because I've been working with many other people. So I guess after the first two cost the most uh, back in, you know, the early 2000s. Um, and then I was preparing for number three. Uh, I had been working with a lot of people and other parents and, and fine-tuning my skills until finally when she went, I didn't pay anywhere near the 53.5. Um, but, uh, but I saw a lot of other parents who didn't, you know, get help um, you know, my, our neighbors, my daughter was on the soccer team. There was a lot of people knew who I was, but, you know, they're not going to go up to your friends and say, help me pay less for college. And they just don't do that. Um, one family, one family, another soccer player uh, who went to University of Rochester did. Um, and the other daughter went to Syracuse, right? Yeah, but, so, but, but let's talk uh, about these cases. You, you have these five mistakes that you say parents and everybody are, uh, we're all making regarding college aid. I would love to run down these. I know the first one you say is that they don't know how to value their assets correctly. Talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a big one. Well, here's the thing. People don't read. <laughs> and they, they, they look at these forms, which are really complicated. I mean, there's stuff all over the pages. It's incredible. And the new fast is even worse. Um, they just keep adding all these little links all over the place. So by the time you start to read the directions, they become... Uh, vague and uh, you're, you're kind of like blind. You, you just, everything gets fuzzy. So I've, I had a client this fall uh, came to me with a, uh, uh, they had already filled out their FAFSA, $322,000 expected family contribution. Now that's the minimum amount a, a school would expect you to pay. So that student qualified for nothing, but the father said, this is impossible. I don't make that kind of money. What happened? And so I, I looked at everything and I looked at as fast. I said, well, you put down all this stuff in business and retirement that didn't belong there. Ah, uh, okay. 
So we corrected it and he had an EFC of $600, which qualified him for a Pell Grant, a federal Pell Grant, which is free money from the federal government as well as state grant money because his EFC was way low. Um, and he qualified for grant money from the schools as well. So what are some of those assets that you, that you should leave off the FAFSA? Their assets are wrapped up in retirement accounts, like an IRA, a 401k, a 403b, that sort of thing. And they just instinctively put that down. So I see a lot of parents with two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars in retirement accounts, which are not to be reported. They are excluded, and they'll they'll enter those instead of zero or just their cash and checking, which would be whatever that is. Um, and then also put in business uh, assets right. where the exceptions are very clear. If you have more than or fewer than 100 employees, you don't put anything down. Zero. But people put them down. And uh, they might include grandparents' assets. Um, you know, things they just, that would not be reported. Uh, Overdisclosure, So that's where right? they get in trouble. I'm sorry? Overdisclosure. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, that's just what, because, just because you're asked a question, this is what I teach, just because you're asked a question doesn't mean you have to answer it in what in a way that you they expect you to um be very careful because you only get one shot at this and colleges will not come back and correct it for you and so you're going to live with whatever you get for that year for all four years most of the time Listen, if you've been using Mint to manage your money, I have got some news for you. First, the bad news. As you might know, Mint is shutting down for good. But the good news, well, there is a way better alternative that is a personal favorite of mine, Monarch Money. And I'm not the only lover of Monarch Money. Many Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and just raving about it. I used to manage my money with an Excel spreadsheet. I know, so archaic. And it was so time consuming. I tried all of the apps. But I just didn't find one I liked until I found Monarch. And I've got to tell you a secret. Monarch is so easy to use with a very intuitive design. You can even collaborate with your partner and you can customize Monarch for whatever your needs are. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Let's go back to the collaboration bit. Because we know money is a leading cause of divorce and breakups, Monarch has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. You can see all your finances, make a budget together, get insights on your cash. Yes, cue the confetti. There will literally not be any more arguments over money. And if you've been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, or rarely updated, so was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful ad-free, and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Monarch has a tool that allows you as well to easily import your data from Mint. You can keep all of your tags and all of your categories. After trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. 
That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. Financial anxiety, anyone? Yeah, you're not alone. But worrying about it, it doesn't help. Earnin does. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 per day as you work and leave an additional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So how would you spend the money you get from Earnin? Well, Honestly, my hubby and I have been feeling a little bit disconnected lately. That's what happens after you've been together about 12 years. So I would spend the money on a special date night with dinner and maybe bowling, you know, to bring back some of that giggly excitement that we both felt at the beginning. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security, gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin, T-A-L-K-A-N, money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin money under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash T-O-S for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, another thing that I want to talk about, you mentioned this, and I think most people don't even know this is possible, is that they don't know how to negotiate for more money. I didn't even know this This was a thing. How, how do you negotiate with a college? Yeah, the word negotiate for a college, if you're speaking with a college, they would not like that at all. They, they think that's being, they're being equated with a, a used car salesman. Right. So they don't like that. Um, the, the thing about negotiation, which it really, that's what it is. I mean, I think amongst themselves, so they, they understand that's what it is. But a lot of parents uh, will not, uh, either they're not aware that they can do it or they're afraid to do it. The thing is, in America, uh, we don't negotiate. Uh, except for in the car dealership or with your realtor. You know, there's not a whole lot of uh, uh, finagling, you know, handling going on, whatever. Right, uh, yeah. there's just, we're just not accustomed to it. And there's a great deal of fear among parents. And there's these urban legends about asking for more money from a college. And I don't know where they come from, but one of them is if we ask for more money, the college will rescind the offer of admission, bye-bye. Um, that's pretty much the big one. And if you do ask for more money, uh, they will dig deeper and give you less money. Well, that's just not the case. Uh, or, or completely withdraw everything because you ask. The, the, it, if you're going to a private school, because public schools 
do not do this. They do not negotiate. There's nothing to negotiate. Uh, but with private schools, right now, the most of them are happy to hear from students uh, who are asking for more money because it's a buy sign. You know, it's like they're raising their hands and say, hey, we're really interested, um, but we're not comfortable uh, with, uh, with what we're being asked to pay. Uh, can you help us? And there's techniques involved with that, but they're pretty simple. And it helps from the outset to be in a position to negotiate. Just like if you were going to buy a car, you'd go to a couple of dealerships, get a couple of quotes, find the car you really like. They're all going to be fairly similar. I mean, you're looking for a particular type of car, just like kids are looking for a particular type of school and college experience. So you, you, you collect a few of those. And then you can go to the dealer. You've got something to show. They said, well, this is going to cost you X. Well, wait a minute. Dealer down the street for basically the same car is going to cost me this. What do you think? Well, let me go talk to my manager. <laughs> you know? And oftentimes, <laughs> depending on the time of the month uh, and how they're doing, they'll give you a, you know, a better deal. Well, the same thing is true with the schools. Schools are very nervous from the time they get all the applications and typically after, from, after January through April. Admissions people are going out of their minds because they're afraid they won't get all the students they need to make their class. And they need more to make their class than they even can for capacity because they know over the summer they're going to lose about 7, 8, 10% of them. So they need a lot more because if they don't get them all, they're going to lose a lot of money. So they are in a position. Uh, or you're in a position to, if you've got coming, if you're coming from a, a, a position of strength, because you've applied to a number of schools that are somewhat similar um, in cost, for example, and you're getting better awards. That's why I think you have to apply to a dozen schools. Uh, if you're doing the, if you're going to private schools, you need to apply to the, a lot of them. Uh, it's a little more work, sure, uh, but you've got to have some 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 place to, you know, look. We 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 got ten thousand dollars here. That we're not getting from you. We're more comfortable with this. We can do this. Can you help? Is this money uh, like adding to their their student loan debt balance, or is this just free money to get them in the door? That's a discount. It's a it's a loss leader for the colleges. Got it. They just okay. they got to get you in the door, and they'll a lot of them will do whatever. I, I'm going to tell you a story here. You won't, I could not believe this. This year is kind of the exception. I'm not not used to seeing this, but I've seen students with low, you know, three to three and a quarter applying to regional private schools where they were lucky to get eight thousand dollars in merit money and very little grant money. Get twenty two thousand dollars in merit and then go back and ask for more based on another award and get 29000 an increase of $7,000. And that's multiplied over four years. Wow. So that's $28,000. That's a big jump. I've seen kids get 7500 They just find, a, they'll stack another scholarship on top of it, give them a, a, a research grant or something, and uh, you know save 7500 more every year, 30000 One student... Uh, we sent in a request, to, you know, to, the, the kid didn't get anything from, it was Lafayette College in Eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, he didn't get anything. We said, well, let's send this email that we have in our system, and he did. And he got a form back, basically wrote the same thing in the email, sent it back, and the school gave him $20,000 per year. Wow. 
just for asking the right way. I mean, you don't go in screaming and yelling and carrying on and threatening. You just go in and ask for help. And, you know, there's a few things to, to make it, uh, you know, the outcome more likely, you know, positive uh, that you can do. But, uh, but if you don't ask, you won't get. And they won't take anything away from you if you do ask. And they're certainly not going to rescind your offer of admission. It doesn't happen. So- Walk us through a little bit more about the FAFSA for those listening who maybe forgot about it or or don't understand it. You know, what is it? Why do you need to file it? And it, I would assume there's a correct way to do it, right? Well, here's the thing about the FAFSA. Most parents don't want it, to, they've heard of it. You know, when the students getting into high school, they might, you know, know their parents and, and they, there's talk about the FAFSA. And, People say, oh, it's really hard, and a few people might say it's real easy, but uh, whoever it is, it, it, it doesn't really sink in their consciousness until they have to fill it out. People procrastinate about everything, especially when it comes to this stuff. It has to do with money. They put it off. So when they get the form, they're already in a position of fear. And uh, if you haven't filled out a particular form and you realize what's at stake. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars, aren't we? Uh, there's a great deal of apprehension, intimidation um, that, that parents experience. And if they'd only taken time a year earlier or even six months earlier to go over the form, think about it, ask what uh, themselves, well, what do they really want to know? And then maybe get some professional help and ask, well, what do they really want? I've got this. I don't, is that going to hurt me? So getting a little advanced, uh, you know, preparation can really go a long way. So that, that's the first thing. Uh, don't wait till the last minute to understand what's going to be asked of you. Then um, what you want to know is, well, okay, I've got this form. How, what do I have to give them? Well, a lot of the information is not that tough. It's uh, this year, um, you know, they ask about the students, uh, you know, where they go to high school, what colleges they want to apply to, you know, name, address, social security number. Um, you know, do they have uh, a job? You know, how, do they have any money in their name? Uh, basically the same questions for the parents. Um, so there's not a lot to mess up until you get to those uh, asset questions. And, and also, well, the number of kids going to college. Some people just miss that. Um, and that's very important because that can take that expected family contribution and cut it in half. Although that form, the new one in a year and a half, is going to uh, not, that number of kids in college is going to, whether it's five or one, it's not going to affect the contribution where it normally would cut, if you had five kids, they cut it into fifths um, right, okay. all at the same time. The question will still remain, but it will be up to the states if you qualify for a state grant uh, based on your new EFC, which is now called the uh, uh, Student Aid Index. Uh, and they'll, they'll determine if you get anything. Also, the individual institutions who do recognize currently a uh, number of kids in college, it'll be up to them to determine uh, what they're going to do in terms of uh, financial aid. We don't know yet. My guess is the colleges aren't going to uh, hurt you too much on that. I think they're going to continue to keep the same same basic policy. So, I mean, it, this whole thing, it, it just all seems so complicated. <laughs> 
it feels like it's all set up for parents and individuals to just not know what they're doing, which is probably the reason why you started FAFSA Assist. Tell me a little bit more about like what do you, how do you help people through this process? Well, the, the first thing is um, when, when you, uh, this is a 40 year old bi- uh, process. I mean, this whole business, it's 40 years old. I mean, in terms of the higher education uh, reauthorization act. And uh, so there's all been a lot of layers of, of rules and regulations, so they can't help, but they're bigger than the IRS code. I mean, there's more rules and regs. So it does tend to <laughs> power, you know, just make it almost impossible to, to keep up. I mean, I'm a member of a couple of organizations that, you know, it's our it's their job to keep me, you know, abreast of what's going on, and, and it's never it never stops changing. It's it's incredible the amount of changes that go on through every single year. So to expect a parent to have any degree of confidence, even if they sent one or two kids through college, to be able to do this in in the most favorable way for them. Uh, to avoid mistakes and delays and everything, um, it's 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 hard to expect them to, to to do that. So, getting, you know, I'm sorry, your question was, I tend to get. <laughs> I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood: The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainen, the host of the Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. That's okay. No, that was all really good information. I just wanted you to tell me a little bit about like FAFSA assist and kind of how you help, how you help. Right. People. Right. Well, when somebody comes to us um, or finds us, uh, we have a lot of self-help information, videos and that sort of thing where I get to be the virtual financial aid expert. Some people call me guru. Some people call me a college cruise director. I've earned them all over the past 25 years. So whatever you want to call me, um, that's fine. Um, but what we try to do is, is help parents. The first thing we tell them, they have to sign this collaborative agreement. It's called the I Promise I Will. And the first thing they promise is not to panic whenever they get an email from the student aid or the college. That's the first thing. And it, as long as they promise not to panic and share that information or take a look to read it uh, for a few minutes, generally there's nothing going on that, that is a problem. 
Um, it's usually just a request for information or it's a blanket email that was just sent to everybody. Uh, but we just want people to know that this is kind of a marathon. There's a, the more schools you apply to, uh, the more rules, the, the, the policies, every school has their own. Uh, they all have their different deadline dates, uh, which you really should pay attention to. They have different forms. The FAFSA is just one. Uh, so we would help them understand the best way to complete that. And our software does that for them. And there's another form called the CSS profile, uh, which used to be called the financial aid profile. It's a college board form. You know, the good people that bring us the SAT you've heard so much about. Oh, and, yes. And, uh, and, AP, and the AP tests and CLEP and that sort of thing. And uh, that form is a lot more involved than the FAFSA. I mean, it asks everything um, that you could possibly imagine about a family's financial circumstances. It's really uh, detailed and difficult. That's a difficult form, really difficult. So if a student's applying to one of the schools that use that form, there's about... 200 uh, of the more competitive schools that do use that. And given what's happening with the new FAFSA simplification, which asks for very little information, truly, uh, we, the, the word on the street is there's going to be a lot more colleges using this more um, in-depth form, which should just make things worse, which is actually, whenever the government does anything for this to make it easier, it always makes it a lot harder. Um, that's just a rule. The, when they try to simplify something, it just makes it harder. So, um, and that, that's just the way the government is. So more parents are going to have to fill out more forms. If you own a business, you have a form for that. If there's a challenge or there's a question, you'll have to fill out a verification form for God knows what. I mean, they got a million of them. If they question your assets, you'll have to fill out an asset verification form, an income and asset budget sheet, um, you know, income and asset rather, uh, budget. I mean, everything that you can possibly imagine in terms of form. So a student could fill, or the parent could be responsible from anywhere from three to six forms. If there is a uh, non-custodial parent, let's say a parent that doesn't live with that student, now you've got to decide which parent makes more money, who's providing more support to that child, and that's the information you're supposed to use. So if it's a, somebody that's just giving you child support, uh, and maybe that's enough to support the family. Now you've got to go chase them for information they may not want to produce or provide. Same thing with the CSS profile. They have a form especially for that parent. And a lot of parents don't want to fill that out. Or they fill it out just as badly as because they're not getting help. And they cost their student a lot of money or cost themselves a lot of money. Well, so can, there's... I think yeah. you could see like why parents ignore a lot of this. I mean, it feels... It feels mind-boggling when you talk about all of the information just that you have to stay on top of that most of us just aren't even aware of. I'm, I'm thinking, um, you know, kind of coming back to the to the first question, how we started out chatting today was, you know, how do we how do we like bridge this gap so that maybe college doesn't continue to be, you know, more out of reach for people, but. Um, you know, it just it feels like there's just like there's a missing link that's happening here. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, yeah, um, I don't believe the colleges, other than the ones I think I may have mentioned, that there's a few that are holding their tuition for all four years, and some have actually lowered their tuition. But there, there are very few. 
Um, college, it, it, did, would it surprise you if I told you there's a whole handful of schools that are over $86,000 a year now? No, it would not, which is okay. just makes me want to tear up. The average private school now is over 60. Now, that doesn't mean you'll pay that. A lot of the schools will throw in a you know $22,000 scholarship, $18,000, depending on the student. Um, I don't think colleges are going to you know, come back on their prices uh, terribly. They, they may discount more heavily. We've seen that this year because of the, uh, uh, the reduction in applications. I mean, it's been literally a couple million over the past few years since COVID. Uh, and they've been going down anyway. Uh, so maybe they'll respond to that and cut back. But they still got all these buildings to take care of. I mean, you've ever been on a college campus. It's a fortune to, to run one of those things. Uh, so where are you going to cut back? You know, especially if you've been relying on increasing tuition. Because a lot of colleges don't have huge endowments. They, they do rely on tuition to make the wheels go around and around. So I'm not sure that the college is really going to be the answer to that. Um, I, I don't think... You know, making more money available to borrow is also a good thing to do at all um, because so many kids don't graduate and they have this burden of debt or they do graduate and they don't, you know, they didn't get great jobs that can, they can meet the payments, um, you know, when they do resume, which probably be towards the end of the year. Exactly. Uh, so is it, is it that they become more realistic and more proactive in choosing the institutions that they go to, or do they go to the community college? But which, by the way, have seen the biggest drop in students. Uh, they've been the ones mostly hurt, not the four years, um, but the, the the two year colleges. They've really taken a, a big hit. Uh, but if if the students are and the parents look at this a couple years out and they think, well, how do we get the same kind of education we're looking for? Um, and, and pay a lot less for it. I mean, there are ways you can do it. I mean, one of the things we do, the first thing is let's find a bunch of schools based on your college capital, you know, your grades, if you have test scores, what are those? What do your transcripts look like? What's your unweighted GPA? Um, what kind of a student are you? And uh, let's look at colleges where you'd be a good financial fit. I mean, you include some the personal preferences as well. I mean, you want a good academic and uh, and social fit, kids got to be happy where they are. And there's, but there's a couple thousand four-year schools in this country. I mean, you're going to find some. They may not be, you know, an hour down the road. It might be a couple states away. But if you're saving fifty percent on what you'd pay at home or close to home, I'd say, you know, suck up the being homesick for a couple of months, which is all it is. Generally, it's October through December. And then it's gone, you know, and, uh, and and go to school there. It's also probably a pretty good experience to go to a school in a place that where people are different from you. I mean, Stuart, this has been so eye-opening. <laughs> There's so much information here, and I could totally see why someone needs needs help. So I would love for you to tell everyone listening if they're if they're interested and they they want to learn more, how can they connect with you and FAFSA Assist? Well, the first step is just going to our website, um, FAFSA Assist. Now, that's an odd to, to spell it on a website. We're changing it, actually, because people on these kinds of programs can't pronounce it or, or, or spell it. So it's the word FAFSA, F-A-F-S-A, 
And then cyst, like we're only using the one A for assist, FAFSA assist or FAFSAassist.com. And uh, uh, you'll find us and um, you can get, uh, we have uh, s- some information you can download right away on some ways to which to, uh, to get through this process. Really, it's just managing the whole thing, being a little smarter about it, taking some information and taking some control for yourself. I mean, people, I, I, people pay me, I'll tell you, $3,000. Um, and I don't want to take that money to college. I, if I can charge you $149 or $399 for these services so you can manage, find the right schools, file all the forms electronically, automatically, help you negotiate all those awards to get the lowest price possible, tell you the best way to borrow money if you have to do that. A lot of families still have to do that. Um, you know, and take that information and get the best possible result, uh, you know, then taking it on yourself. I mean, we're only talking, you know, uh, one or two college applications or Starbucks for a month, you know, it's, uh, and the dividends, we don't have too many unhappy parents. I've done this for well over a hundred thousand families and, uh, uh, it's it's always at the end of the year. It's one of the most gratifying uh, experiences when we see. Well, how did everybody do? You know, the end of uh, April, early early May, and we see how our families did. And and it's always a it's it that's what keeps us going because we we know we're filling a need, and kids who might not be able to afford it, or parents not be able to send their kids to the colleges they want them to go to, uh, find themselves being able to do that. And I don't think you put a price tag on that. I don't know about you, but what I took away from this conversation with Stuart is the mind-boggling, dizzying process of just getting into college. I mean, if we don't have people like Stuart out there to learn from, how would we ever know any of this information? I know when I was applying to graduate school, I didn't know any of this. So I'm not planning on having any kids soon, but my heart really goes out to all of you that are having to figure out how to navigate this process. I'll do my part. I'll keep sharing these conversations if you keep listening. Deal? If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor. Share it with five friends right now who need to know about this as well. And a big thanks in advance for spreading the Everyone's Talking Money podcast love. I'll see you right back here in a few days. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.